Jesus' suffering and your suffering is a way of encouragement because Jesus suffered for you to present you to God covered in all of the righteousness of Jesus and giving you victory over death and evil so that he can bring you into his glory forever and ever and ever as you worship him while he is seated on his throne. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, 1 Peter chapter 3, in just a moment, Take out your study guides, turn to the section on 1 Peter chapter 3 as well. You may remember we are in the section of suffering. It's the main theme of Peter's letter, and we have come to that part in the letter where he spends several verses talking about that. And this morning, as we turn there and we're going to think about suffering in a moment, when you start something new in your life, be it a job, uh, having a child, uh, a new pastime, you will usually seek out someone who has a similar job, who has had children before, uh, who has a pastime that you want to, to start. You will go to them and you will ask some questions. You, you want to hear how, how did you start this? How, when you came into this position, did you deal with these reports or with these charts or with these requirements? If you're going to start a new pastime and you want to play tennis, what kind of tennis racket did you buy? Where do you go? Do you join a club? How do you play? You go to someone who has experience with what you're getting ready to start so that you can learn from them so that as you start your new job, your new pastime, your new whatever, you will have success. Because we all want to succeed, right? Nobody wants to go start a new pastime, start a new job, and fail. We, we don't work that way. When it comes to suffering, I would say that this area more than anything else is, some, is someone that you would seek out who has been through that before, right? If, if you get a diagnosis that you you have, and I'm going to use cancer because unfortunately we've had several people go through that and are going through it, you will probably seek out someone else who has gone through cancer and say, hey, can you tell me what it was like? I, 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 I hear what the doctors are saying and what the nurses are saying. And while we, we trust medical professionals and we're glad that we have them, we want to hear from somebody who has had the portacath put in. We want to hear from somebody who's had the chemo. We want to hear from somebody who's dealt with the side effects. We want to hear how they made it through that. If God brings suffering into your life through another avenue, whatever it is, the loss of a loved one, whatever it is, you, you seek someone out to say, how, how did you make it through? And the same is true if you are persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ. If you are suffering for your faith, you want to go and ask somebody else, hey, I, I know that there was a time when you suffered for your faith, when you were mocked, you were ridiculed. How, how did you make it through? 
You, you did it with, in, in, with strength and, and grace and mercy and love. And I tell you what, I, I'm really mad and I just want to lash out at this person. How, how did you make it through? Well, as Peter is writing today, and he's talking about suffering, he decides in his letter that he is going to point the believers to an example to follow. And the example to follow is going to be Jesus Christ. Someone who overcame and emerged victorious over suffering. Now, I've, the running joke is, anytime a question is asked in church, the answer is always Jesus or the Bible. I mean, it's usually one of those two. And you go, well, it makes sense that Peter would use Jesus. Now, I want to just remind us of why. And, and you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and remember it says, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the word author there really doesn't carry the connotation of a writer, but it means pioneer. The person who goes forward and gives you the example to follow. So Jesus goes forward and he gives us the example to follow so that we can walk in a path that he's already walked. And as we look at him and him going through the path, we start to understand why he suffered and how it impacts us as a believer today. So this is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 22. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may, might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but me, being made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. This morning, I want you to notice some things about Christ's suffering and how it impacts you as a believer. And the first is this, and this is where we're going to spend the most time this morning, is that Jesus Christ suffered for you. All right, He suffered for you. The connection between verse 17 and verse 18, for it is better to suffer for doing good than it should be for doing evil. And then for also Christ suffered. It points back to it. Peter is writing that as a believer, should you suffer or be persecuted for your faith in Jesus, it's okay because Jesus suffered as well. But Jesus suffered, it says, for you. So what Peter is directing us to is that when a person suffers, that when a believer suffers, it's not just some type of cosmic fate, okay? That it's the purposeful will of God. And in that suffering, you're going to emerge victorious. Now, the believers might look around at people who had died, who had been martyred for the faith, and think, you know what, that, that doesn't look victorious, it looks like they're dead. And, and, and from an earthly perspective, it looks like evil has won. So Peter points this again back to Jesus' life and says, Look, Jesus suffered because this is the will of God. What God willed Him to do. And He did this to the point of death. And He did all of this for you. He suffered on the cross for you. He, he died on the cross for you. He rose again on the third day for you. All that He did, all the suffering, was for 
you. Now, think for just a minute who wrote this. Right? We're in the book of 1 Peter, right? So who wrote it? Not a trick question. Who wrote it? Peter. You remember what Peter said to Jesus when Jesus talked about suffering? Do you remember Peter's response? Jesus is talking about going to the cross and how he's going to suffer and die. Do you remember what Peter says? He looks at Jesus and says, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to do that. You're not going to suffer for me. Isn't it kind of amazing now that Peter finally understands that Jesus went to the cross and suffered for him? He went to the cross and suffered for me, for you, and for all of mankind. And his suffering and his sacrifice then becomes unique in all of history, specifically God's redemptive history, because he suffered in your place. Jesus Christ suffered in your place. That's what it says. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. I know that y'all love it when I point out to you that you're in the Bible. Did you know you're in the Bible right there in verse 18? You're in the unrighteous category. <laughs> he suffered for us when we were unrighteous. He, he did this because when we sin, we've broke God's law and we're under His judgment, a judgment which results in spiritual death where we are forever separated from Him. And without God's intervention, that's, that's what's going to happen. For every person who is born is headed down the same road. There's nothing that we can do to get off that road. God is going to have to step in. There's going to have to be one of those but God moments where God steps into history and do something. And God in His grace provided that remedy. He provided a substitute. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 to see this. And we see it over and over throughout the context of Scripture. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sin. What does God do? Instead of killing them, even though that was the, the if you touch this tree, surely you will die. Instead of a physical death, he takes animals and he basically puts the sin on those animals and kills the animals and clothes them with the skin. So now they have clothes because remember they were naked and ashamed. They're now clothed. God gave them a substitute. The animal was their substitute. And then as the story of Scripture unfolds, we see this over and over and over until God codifies this into the sacrificial system. Right? Where the worshiper goes to the temple and he takes an animal, a sheep, a lamb, whatever it is, and he's in the temple. And basically, this, what happens is they would place their sins on this animal and the animal would be sacrificed in their place. It would cover their sins. The animal was their substitute. But there was a problem, right? And the problem was they kept having to go back to the temple. They kept having to make the sacrifice. There was not a perfect once-for-all sacrifice. So for the sacrificial system to find its ultimate fulfillment, there would need to be the one perfect sacrifice. There would need to be someone who kept God's law perfectly, and that was Jesus Christ. And because of His sinless life, He was uniquely able to be this sacrifice. He fulfilled every aspect of God's law completely and perfectly and becomes that perfect sacrifice. And Peter points this out, right? Where Peter says, he suffered once. He suffered once. 
right? He, he didn't suffer twice, right? He suffered, he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. He doesn't go back to the cross again on day four. It's not a repeated sacrifice of himself. Instead, we are told that Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, and then he went and he sat down at the right hand of God, with the sitting being an indication that his work was complete. He did this. And as Peter put it, he says, Jesus did this, the righteous for the unrighteous, for me and you. I know we don't like to be called unrighteous. I know we don't like to be called sinners. Nobody does, but we are. And here we are told that Jesus was our substitute. The righteous for the unrighteous. He, he, he took on all our sins. We transferred all our sins to Him. Right? It, it just... We didn't have to suffer for Him. I thought about this in banking terms, right? Where you transfer money. We all transfer money now. Uh, I, online. I think everybody pays your bills online now. You go online and you hit pay bills or transfer money. And, and you do that and it goes from, from your account to someone else's account. And, and that's what Jesus did. He, he, he took our sins... And, and we, we transferred them. We, we, they were placed on Him. They were taken from our account and putting, put on Him because He could take them. And it says, not that He sinned, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 said that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, He was there with all of my sins, all of your sins, all the sins on the world. They were, he was made to be sin. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become right. That's where Jesus transfers His righteousness back to us. So now instead of unrighteous, we are righteous. Think about this for a minute. I'll, I'll do it in context of me because I know how y'all are very faithful. Every lie I've ever told, every ugly, evil thought I've ever had, every outburst of anger I've ever had, every time I've looked at my neighbor's car or, or something else or, and thought, man, I would love to have that. Every time I sin, every time past and this is going to shock you, I'll probably sin in the future. All of those sins, all of your sins, were placed on Jesus at that time. Every single one. Now, anybody want to count up how many sins you've got in your lifetime? I, I run out of hands and, and, and fingers. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm above ten. Right, Every single one was placed on He was made sin for us so that we might become righteous. That's, a, that's an incredible transfer. <laughs> Here, Jesus, take my sins. Okay, I'll do it. Here, take my righteousness. Okay, thank you, I will. He suffered for me. It's absolutely amazing. And it says, Peter wrote, that He suffered that He might bring us to God. He might bring us to God. And as I was writing this, my mind just kind of went to the wedding imagery, right? 
where the father of, a, of the bride uh, walks down the aisle and presents the bride to the groom and says, here, here here's, here's your bride. And I just, I just thought about that, about Jesus taking us once He has transferred His righteousness to us, taking us and leading us into the presence of, of God and just presenting us to God the Father and says, here was the unrighteous who is now righteous. And just walking us in there. It's absolutely amazing. And He presents us back to God to restore the relationship that's been broke because of our sins. Because of all our unrighteousness. And this time, He doesn't just cover our sins like the animal. He atones for them. He takes them away. They're gone forever and ever. Hebrews chapter 10, talking about this, is an amazing verse. One that you've heard again. Just a little bit of context just to remind you where we are. The, The context of Hebrews chapter 10 is Christ's sacrifice in the context of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And in doing that, it takes us back to the temple complex. Specifically, right there in the middle of the temple complex where they had the, the holy building, and in the holy building they had the holy of holies, right? That was separated by a curtain. You, you couldn't go through that curtain. And we're not talking about, how many of y'all have those nice little frilly lace curtains in your house, right? You know, that don't really do anything, but they're pretty, right? Not talking about that type of curtain, right? This is a 15 to to 30 foot tall curtain, probably four to six inches thick. It was huge. It was designed so that you could not see into the Holy of Holies and see God's glory. It was designed so that the priest, when he went through there, that none of God's glory would leak out because even if just a little bit leaked out, everybody out there would die. You couldn't get into God's presence. There was no way. And we come to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, before we couldn't go in there. Now through His sacrifice, through His suffering, we can. We can go in there, it says, because the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that's the curtain in the Holy of Holies, that is through His flesh. He was our sacrifice, and through Him now we have access to God. Because He now presents us to God. And we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He did that so that we would be clean and we would be pure and He could take us into the Holy of Holies so that we could be with God the Father, so that relationship could be restored. And when we do, we can draw near to God and we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may find that we may receive mercy and find grace. Now, that access to God will never go away. As a believer, we continually and forever will have access to God. For all eternity. Because Jesus suffered to bring us to God. But He also suffered to bring us victory. He suffered to bring us victory. He reminds the exiles, and reminds us today that even though He suffered to the point of death, that His suffering leads to victory. First of all, we see that He is victorious over death. It says that he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And the, the, the S on spirit really should be capital, I believe. 
It really should be pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit there. It's not His human spirit, but He was made alive through the, through the resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see that death could not hold Him. Again, Jesus is our God. He goes through death, and then He's raised to life so that we can be confident that as a believer in Him, we may go through death, but we're going to be raised again in victory with Him over death. We are confident that our death, though it ends our earthly life, does not end our eternal life. Right? This is the, the complete opposite end of the world spectrum where death is the final defeat. Right? Where, where they just, what a waste. Right? In every other religion, even death guarantees nothing. Have you thought about this before? Christianity is the only religion that definitively guarantees believers that death is not a defeat, but it's the pathway for our ultimate victory. Other religions, if you die, you might get in heaven if, if their God decides to let you in. You could be reincarnated into something better or something worse. You, you could just blend in to whatever is out there, absorbed into the great void. Right? There, there's no victory in any of that. And so in all those, death is something to be feared because you don't know what's going to happen after you die. But here we're told that Jesus has already died and He rose again so we don't have to be afraid of death because death leads to victory and we raise again on, after we die and it's going to be victorious and glorious. So therefore we say, right, that death therefore is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because it's nothing to be afraid of. It's not a defeat. It leads us to victory. But then Jesus Christ also is victorious over evil. He's, he, and, and this is where we've got to be careful. Peter makes this point in what is arguably one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. Right? It says, if you look down there in verse 19, it says, "...in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison." And then he starts talking about them not obeying and God's patience in the time of Noah. And, and, and it's very, it's a hard passage to understand, to, to really know exactly what Peter is talking about. And because it's tied into Noah, a lot of people will go, oh, he must obviously mean Genesis chapter 6, where the sons of men came down and, and, and married and had kids with the sons of, of, of earth and, and all of this. It's like, okay, that's great, but Genesis chapter 6 isn't exactly an easy passage either. So you can't go, this passage is hard, let's go to the other passage that's really hard too, and therefore it all makes sense. It, it doesn't really work that way. From the Apostles' Creed, you, you are probably most familiar with this, right? I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, died, buried. He descended into hell, then rose on the third day. And that little part right there, he descended into hell, says that after he was crucified and placed in the tomb before his resurrection, that he went down into hell and, and preached the gospel to those who were disobedient in the times of Noah. That is probably the most familiar interpretation. And I will say, I don't think that that interpretation is correct. I don't think the totality of Scripture points to that. And so I know what we immediately want to do is, is go, all right, what then is Peter saying? 
And I know a lot of times we dig deep, but sometimes the easiest way to understand something instead of digging deeper is to back up a little bit. So let's back up just a little bit, zoom out, and remember that Peter is writing to encourage believers who are going through, who are being persecuted. Peter wants them to know that even though evil, right, evil rulers, evil people are persecuting them, that ultimately evil will not defeat them. Because Jesus Christ is victorious over evil, they will be victorious over evil as well. Look down in verse 22 where where Peter talks about angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to him. These are evil beings who we saw in Psalm 110 that says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Jesus' suffering leading to his death and to his resurrection leads to his victory over all enemies to the point that he uses them as a footstool. That doesn't mean that Jesus just barely squeaked by. To to place your foot on a, a vanquished foe is complete and utter humiliation and defeat. Right? You don't get close enough to somebody that you've kind of partly defeated and put your foot on them if you think that they're going to be able to throw your foot off and then reverse the role and you be on the ground and them be on top. Jesus has so thoroughly defeated evil that he can stand upon them. There's nothing that they can do. And if Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, can defeat evil along the lines of the angels who rebelled, authorities, powers, and principalities, evil that in our flesh we cannot defeat, then we need to understand that Christ is victorious over all evil for all time, including the evil rulers who are persecuting them then, including the evil people who may persecute us now. They may persecute us, but we're going to emerge victorious because Jesus is victorious over all evil. And Peter says, He suffered to bring you victory. He's brought us victory over death. He brings us victory over evil. And then Peter writes that Jesus suffered to show you His glory. To show us His glory. He says, who, in verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Again, the position of authority and power being at the right hand. And we find out that in heaven, Jesus Christ is the object of exaltation. To exalt somebody is to recognize Jesus is the only true and living God. It's not to recognize that He is the first among others. You watch a car race, you watch NASCAR, and somebody wins, right? They're just first among the other 42. They're not necessarily first among everybody, always, forever. They're just, on that particular day, they're the first of the others in the field. But here, Jesus is greater than everything. He is greater than any other God, little g God, that we may erect in our lives. He is greater than all evil. He is greater than the powers and the authorities and the principalities. He is greater than death. He is the object of exaltation in heaven. And He should therefore then be the exaltation of us here on earth. We should lift His name up above every other name. Right? We go to Philippians and we're reminded that Jesus is highly exalted, that at His name, 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is above. There, there, there's, there, there's not even a chart. Right? I mean, again, using the NASCAR illustration, I know we're not really in NASCAR season, but you have the points standing, and they flash up the points, and sometimes the points lead is really small, sometimes it's really big. There's not even a chart that you can put Jesus' name up here, and then, like, how big is the gulf to, to, to second place? I mean, I mean, there, there, there's not a second place. He, it's Jesus and Jesus. <laughs> there, there's nobody else on that list. And His name is exalted. And when His name is exalted, it leads us to worship. It leads us to worship. Jesus Christ is the object of worship in heaven. And as such, He should be the object of worship here on this earth. I've said this over and over and over again. Our worship here on earth is preparation for our worship in heaven. Right? I can't wait. And I hope that when we get to heaven... I hope all of y'all's houses are really close to mine so that you can hear what I sound like when I can sing without the taint of sin or anything else. Y'all was sitting in y'all's mansion going, wow, Gary really can sing. I'll owe that to Jesus and His incredible power. I don't know, Jesus might be looking up there going, whoa. But Jesus is worshipped in heaven. Let's go just quickly to Revelation chapter 4. Just, just... And then the Revelation 7. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast, they cast their crowns down before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. We see every creature in heaven bowing down and worshiping Jesus for what He has done and for who He is, is and His name being exalted above every other name. And as we read that and we continue through Scripture and we continue through Revelation, what we find out is that we find ourselves once again in, in Scripture as well. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9-12. through 12. Remember earlier I said you were there as the unrighteous here you are there as part of the redeemed from every nation. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And there you are in heaven worshipping the Lamb with every other tongue, every other tribe, every other nation lifting up the name of Jesus and worshiping Him forever and ever. Amen. How is that for encouragement? 
How is that for, for, for what Peter is writing? We think about suffering and we don't want to deal with suffering because nobody likes it. And Peter says, you know what? I will make you see and understand that Jesus' suffering and your suffering is a way of encouragement because Jesus suffered for you to present you to God covered in all of the righteousness of Jesus and giving you victory over death and evil so that He can bring you into His glory forever and ever and ever as you worship Him while He is seated on His throne. That's the type of encouragement that we need to understand and have as we suffer or are persecuted for our faith. That Jesus went first and that we're going to emerge victorious not only on this life and suffering, but in the next life as well. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.